Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. Here's your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today, Maram Musaitif, believes as a doctor that there's more to healthcare than hospitals and medicines, that health can be improved in many other more significant ways. She is a public health consultant, and here to tell her story is Maram Mustatif. Maram, you're very welcome to the show. I'm thrilled that you took the time to have a conversation with me this morning or this evening, as it happens to be in your case. I want to start with your journey in healthcare. So tell us about how you came to be involved in healthcare and why you were interested in healthcare to begin with. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on your podcast this evening from Austin, Texas. You know, as a from my personal experience and professional experience really led me to this path and there's not one way that I can tell you has been linear. I've failed multiple times, but I've always been advocating for health and being the voice for marginalized, low-income individuals who really need our attention and care. You seem to have ended up in the right place and you seem to have gone on the right path. The fact that you may have taken a few detours doesn't seem to have impacted on this very much at all. You said that in many, many cases for patients who were attending specialist clinics, the issue was not a healthcare issue. It was transportation, it was cost, it was homelessness, access to good food, things that we don't often think of as being key to the outcomes in a specialist clinic. Do you want to say a little bit more about that? Especially if you're working with low-income underserved communities, we need to understand their needs are exceed the clinical walls. And they live, many of them live in areas and neighborhoods that lack the basic health needs. When I speak of health needs, access to safe transportation, to safe walkways, to food. And they live in, many of them live in food deserts. They don't have the privilege to go to a grocery store or they don't have the means to pay for it as well. As we know, the pandemic has really amplify these inequities people are living in, and this is happening in real life. How, and if a patient that you are seeing has diabetes and you're telling them, go home and walk 30 minutes a day, they perhaps live in a, in, not in a safe environment, or you need to eat healthy. What does eating healthy mean to them? It may just mean having a meal at the end of the day. And it really, regardless of its nutritional value or if it's good for them or not, but that's all they have access to. So as primary care physicians, as people who are serving this vulnerable population, you need to think outside and to assess. And now what we're really moving forward is um, screening for the social determinants of health. In the patient's medical records at these FQHCs, federally qualified health clinics, ensuring that every patient, provider, whoever does the intake, 
is that they're screening them. If they need access to transportation, that they're connected. Maybe perhaps a social worker at the clinic can connect them with transportation to come and back for, to their appointments. Maybe their caregiver has other responsibilities, or they may be working odd hours, whereas the clinic is open typically from eight to five. You need to think about expanding the horizon. Are we meeting people's needs? Yes, we open a clinic, but is it located where it needs to be? Is it opening during hours that people have access to? And that's where we need to shift our thinking because diagnosing a patient is one, but making sure that the patient is taking care of their health is another. And eventually everyone wants you as a doctor, you know, you want your patients to have good health outcomes, to feel better, not to come back worsened. And you don't want them to end up at, at the ER. Maybe there was a lot of we had once a case, a hypertension case, and that could have been eliminated if, the, if this person had access to their medication. And that could have saved the healthcare system a lot of money. So it's a way that we need to shift our thinking. How can we bridge health and understand who are, pa who are our patient population and what are their needs? And it's not just a prescription that you give. And how are they also going to dispense this prescription? Where are they going to get it? Who is going to... So there's a lot of factors that plays into, into this. We just opened a clinic in East Austin. We actually groundbreaking. We plan to open it soon. And many community members were happy to see a clinic. But one lady came up to me was like, when are we going to have a grocery store? That's all she wants. Like, I have to travel many miles just to go visit a grocery store. And this is an elderly woman who may have access today to a car, may not. And we don't know how functional their cars are. Because, as you know, the cost of living is increasing. People's needs are increasing. And we really need to have a shift of our thinking and putting ourselves in their space and walking the walk and putting ourselves in their shoes. And that's where I call for empathy. And it's about listening and understanding and feeling their pain so we can overall address their needs and eventually improve their health. Because everyone wants to lead a healthy lifestyle. Everyone wants to be healthy. I don't know of a person who loves to visit a doctor. But if they don't have access to simple means, they will come back. And, and they may not come back. So that's what I, um, I meant about bridging health and thinking outside of the clinical walls. You are listening to the Health Design Podcast with your host, Moyes Jiwa. But thinking about this from the point of view of politics and what people think about when it comes to voting, it's far more. 
easier to vote for a politician unveiling a new hospital building than it is for a politician who says, we are now going to have a different policy. We're going to create a whole lot of grocery stores, improve the public transportation, which doesn't have quite the same impact as standing for a photo opportunity at a new MRI. What do you say to that? True. I uh, Given the work that I do, I have a lot of interaction and involvement with our county commissioners, with our city council, and our mayor, and our judges. I can tell you, the more you share your story, the more buy-ins you get. And I have noticed the willingness of many of these politicians to really listen, understand why we need to pay for certain things. Now, we've been criticized for our spending. We have been criticized. Many said, oh, you should only spend it on health care. You should not be spending your services on some transportation. Or you should not be spending on other things that are not health care related. But the more we've been able to share our story, to show our data, and as probably know, we're not just going to the zip code level, we're also going down to the neighborhood level data and sharing the disparities these communities are suffering that these politicians need to listen to. And also, the, what I've probably really found to be impactful community members coming and sharing their experiences. I've been yelled at many times for certain things, but I welcome that because they're sharing a perspective we don't know. We're designing a system and you're sharing like, oh, a clinic or an MR, a building, but this building is meaningless if they don't have access to it. This building is meaningless if it's located in an area that is further away from where they live. This building is pointless if it's really not opening during hours where they can visit. So, and many community members have been very vocal and they really address these issues with their local entities, their elected officials. And as a taxing ages that we're receiving, you know, we're receiving property taxes, we're held accountable. And at the same time, we need to ensure that everyone understood why we're doing it. And we're basing it really on data and people's story. And we've done a, an analysis and we've had community engagements. We have several, several community engagements um, happening that they're telling us how we should direct our services and what their needs are. And we're communicating that to our commissioners' courts who eventually vote off on our budget. So to answer your question, we need to have an open communication and we need to speak people's language. And if we do, I can assure you it will work. It's not easy. I'm telling you it's really easy. It's not. It takes a lot of persistence and perseverance. But if you keep your story aligned and intact and you're authentic, 
it would eventually you will succeed. There's another reason, isn't there, why we need to get better results out of our healthcare system. The United States spends a vast amount of money in terms of the proportion of GDP on healthcare, and yet the outcomes, as we know, in many cases are not equivalent to the outcomes in countries that are spending far less. So we need to get the most out of the dollars that we spend in healthcare. You're suggesting that we could do that not by tackling directly the business of delivering healthcare, but by making that delivery much more effective in terms of access, access to food, access to transportation, access to a warm place to sleep at night. Yes, and that's really where my message has been about bridging health. And we've witnessed it, and the data shows we cannot improve health outcomes without addressing the social determinants of health, the factors, the barriers that are impacting an, an individual's health. We need to really focus on people's education, enhance the educational system, because eventually, if you're educated, you'll your potential of having earning a higher pay job is high comparison if you're not educated. And once you have a good job, you have more opportunities. You need to think about all these other factors that are impacting you as a person because all of it really overall builds into improving the healthcare system. And it's not just accessing a care. Yes, you need to access the care, but many I've heard many patients go see a physician, not because they're sick or anything. It could be a place of, of social interaction or a place they can get access to food or a place they, they can be warm. You know, if you're working with homeless individuals who don't have a, a roof on top of their head. So there are a lot of issues impacting people. And yes, U.S. pays far more on healthcare, and yet we have poor health outcomes, but yet we are not really investing a lot in public health. I think one of the numbers, can't don't quote me on it, but I think it was $32 per GDP comparison to, I don't know, $1,000 and healthcare spending. So think about the discrepancy between there. The reason why we have not valued public health, we have not understood the value it brings to healthcare. We thought about them as silo. And that is why as we're moving towards the population health model, we need to think on individual level, but also on a population health, how can we bridge the two? And as they, two of both of these services really complement health, not so it's health, not just health care. And that's really where the focus is shifting. And we've noticed it with the pandemic. I've spoken to hundreds of cases. I was a, during that time, a, working with the state on the COVID 19 screenings and at that time the contact tracing project. And many of the people 
that I, the cases that I spoke with, they were gut-wrenching. Many, just one lady was like, I'm hungry. I just cannot, you know, I need to provide for my family. I'm ill. I'm sick. How can I? One who just wanted that voice of reassurance, that comfort. So we need to think outside of this box that a health, improving health outcome is just about visiting a physician. Yes, it has a significant factor, but also how can we sustain individuals' health in the long run, especially for those who do not have access to the basic services or do not are, are uninsured. So that's really where the shift is happening in healthcare that I see and I witness and it's happening every day and where our, where our efforts are focused. I must uh, recount a quote that I read recently somewhere and it said something like, eat food as medicine or eat medicine as food. If we don't eat well, we're going to end up sick is essentially what it's saying. I'm very interested in what you're saying because in fact that is the the heart of the matter, isn't it? That when it comes to policy, we do not see the value of the things that you're talking about unless we have taken the time or to read the papers or read the research or even talk to people who are in the community who are clearly not doing well. And of course, part of the message to politicians is people who are well-fed and well-cared for get good jobs, they pay taxes. And at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want people to create wealth so that the country will thrive. If we don't do that, clearly you just get people who are not going to function to their potential and effectively become a drain on national resources. The Health Design Podcast is hosted by the Journal of Health Design, an alliance with unfixed media and metal health. once spoke at a meeting at this conference and I was all about, it was, my talk was really about empathy and healthcare and it really boils down to listening. And one person stood up and said, is there an ICD code for empathy? I'm like, okay. So it boils down to how we're paying for these services. And, and that really, and if you're thinking about my trajectory work, my health policy work, working with the Yale and the health outcome research, where these hospitals were the reason, their motivation of doing what they were doing, enhancing communication, improving like simplest discharge of a patient. It was because of the money at the end. You know, if they did not do what they're supposed to do, they're going to be penalized. And the same thing, this physician came up to me is like, if we're not being paid for it, why should we do it? And I'm not saying that really is all every single physician thinks that way. Absolutely not. We know the amount of stress that has on them and the shortages that we have and nationwide shortages of physicians and where the expectations is a lot within a short visit. But if you're working with these marginalized, underserved communities, you need to re-strategize how you deliver care 
and ensuring that it's not just about a prescription, it's also about how can they get that prescription? How can they follow up with their visits? And if they miss their day from work, they're not going to be paid. And that translates into not providing food for their family, not having a meal that evening, because many are living pay wage, you know, to pay wage. And, and we need to think and expand our horizon and find our calling and think outside of the box and not assume that everyone has access to these simple, basic things as clean access to clean water, access to clean air, to a safe home, and to a good education system. Not everyone has that. And we need to be mindful and empathetic, overall improve health. And that's where that journey really took me. And it continues to take me to this place that is just beyond a patient just seeing a doctor. It's about... Yeah, the other thing I guess we could emphasize is that for the first time in decades, life expectancy in the U.S. has begun to fall and has been falling for a little while. And what they say is what gets measured often gets improved or focused on if we could focus on improving life expectancy, which means looking after people and paying doctors to make people well, as opposed to paying doctors to keep people in hospital, that may be the turnaround that we're looking for. You know, talking about life expectancy, and I'm going to relate it back to here to Austin, East Austin and West Austin, and this is a civilized you know, community. The life expectancies between the two is about 10 years difference. And it's just because many of them do not have the access that I described to you, the access to good transportation, to food, educational system. And whereas this is leading to increased health disparities between the communities in East Austin versus to communities who are living in West Austin who have more access to all these services that I just outlined. And we need to have a deeper dive into the geography of these communities and boil it down to neighborhoods and not just zip codes, as we know is probably your zip code is more telling of your health outcomes than your genetic code. And that's where we need to really have a bigger strategy and the impact of other policymakers that really can have an impact in the healthcare delivery and improve life expectancies in these communities. Perhaps we should be voting for those who focus on that life expectancy because it's a very easy thing to measure. We can all see it. It's a number and say, I am going to improve life expectancy by X number. And of course, underneath that, we all know that what that means is better access to care, better access to food, better access to all the things that are the social determinants of health. Sometimes these, a hospital is something more tangible. People can see it. Where the other stuff that I outlined are 
it is tangible, but there's not that physical presence. And if people are not aware and understand understanding of how everything builds because I can tell you and I test you not not every voting member understands the differences between acts uh, building a hospital and improving transportation so we need to have this dialogue this script of really sh sharing this and educating people because people don't know and how and all they know is like, oh, that's great. A hospital's better access. But, you know, from a public health standpoint, you want patients out of the hospital and to live the life to the fullest. You know, everyone deserves that. And, and healthcare is a human right. But at the same time, access to all these services is a human right as well. But we need to change the narrative and educate and inform. And this pandemic, I believe, has really kind of had this shift in thinking of what needs to be done and what are the priorities and how should we spend our money. The Journal of Health Design, fostering collaboration, amplifying the voice of health advocates, growing a network to improve outcomes in healthcare. That really brings us to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? Because the reality is that those who suffer these inequities are the subject of prejudice. They're the subject of prejudice in the sense that people say, well, it's all their fault that they don't have access to this. It's all their fault that they don't now own a car. It's all their fault that they're unemployed and all of the other awful things that follow. It's all their fault because domestic violence is more common in their community and what are they doing about it? It's always somebody else's problem to fix. And that is what leads to the inequities that you're describing, that whilst ever we other them, whilst ever we don't see them as the same people as we who live on this part of town, we will continue on this trajectory because, as you say, there isn't a tangible thing that we can put in front of the voters to say, look, this is what we have done to improve this situation. You're absolutely correct. And it, it is, you know, and we know that communities of color have been disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. And it, it's nothing new. And pe but these Many were shocked, you know, and I'm like, oh, we never knew this is happening. We never knew this population has more, you know, health, uh, you know, issues, and they're suffering from diabetes more than this subgroup. As public health folks, we all knew we've been trying to communicate and addressing. We've been just like we've been advocating for better health and shining the light on these inequities and these health disparities among communities of color but it took this pandemic to bring it to light and unfortunately many who have lost their lives were low-income communities because a they did not have access to care b many could not 
stay home. They had to go to work. And if they did not, you know, attend work, they could not pay their, their living expenses. And, uh, and many were essential workers who had to be working and exposed to this virus. And they did not have the luxury of working from home as many of us had and continue to do so. And that is why education is vital to improve the educational system for everyone to have equitable access in order for them to improve their health and having that connection. It was like, oh, how is education related to health? It is significantly related because as we've seen from this pandemic, I'm not saying we don't need essential workers. We definitely do need them. We need all walks, people walks of life, but also we need people to have the choice to make a decision that is good for them. And without providing them with this access and they will continue on this difficult road that we need to really think differently and continue um, advocating for better health and realize this is happening and it's been it's continuing to happen and and if we don't make a shift it's going to get worse and that's where we talk, we talk about you know um discrimination in healthcare and like everyone eventually wants to be healthy but this diabetic patient couldn't get better because they they couldn't afford to eat healthy nutritious food they couldn't afford or their taste buds they they're not used to eating this food because of the high cost or where they've been and we need to be vigilant understanding of people's needs or dietary preferences to tailor it to their needs because it is critical for this overall health improvement where many assume it's a given and it's not. Uh, and this is happening every day. And I get to witness this on a daily basis, given the work that I do. And it's really heartbreaking to see and hear the issues communities are suffering because not because they don't want to be healthy. They just cannot, cannot afford the lifestyle as many do in other countries. Isn't the real problem that we have framed this quite differently? We've framed it as it's their problem. They live over there. They're sick. They're the one with the diabetes. They're the one who can't afford this, that, or the next thing. The reality is that when my neighbor is sick, when my neighbor cannot afford health care, cannot send their kids to school, cannot take themselves to their hospital appointment, then I am the poorer, regardless of where I live, because we're all part of the same community. It will impact on my ability to grow wealth for myself and my family, because that person continues to be a drain on the national resources and they have to because they are unwell isn't the truth that if we were to look after our neighbor that in fact we are effectively looking after ourselves absolutely absolutely 
But the issue is we're not even talking with our neighbor. We're not communicating with our neighbor. We're not listening to others. We're segregating ourselves from others who look different than us. And that's wrong. And we need to break barriers by connecting with others who are different than us to understand why they are where they're at and how can we improve their lifestyle however we can. Maybe it's a simple guide. And for instance, right now, going back to central health, we have a program, it's called Community Health Champions. And within this program, where we're empowering local individuals with the information and resources that they could to share back to their community. And eventually their knowledge sharing can improve someone's health by either connecting them to health services, helping them register for our MAP program, a medical access plan, helping them connect to social services, helping them connect to educational services, programs that can improve their health. And it's not just health when I'm talking about, it's more their prosperity to living the life to their fullest. And that is where we need to be. We're, and that really boils down to empathy. It's about listening and engaging with others. And if we don't have these hard, core, difficult conversations, we, we, it's going to be very challenging and difficult to change the dynamics of life. And we will not see it as a burden. We will just throw it on them. They should have done this. I've done Yes, you've done it all, but you've probably had a better opportunity because of where you come from or where you live and the access that you've had. Maram, your voice is heard around the world. It resonates. We stand with you in your desire to tell this story for all of our sakes. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Health Design Podcast, serving patient and physician advocates. Visit us at journalofhealthdesign.com.